0: Have you ever wondered why a certain house in your neighborhood has stood abandoned for years or even decades? Or maybe you've heard about a terrible murder in your town, but you've never known exactly where it happened. Hi. I'm Jules, and welcome to Morbid Tourism, the podcast. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the true crime cases that may have happened closer to home than you thought. Warning this podcast contains descriptions of extreme violence and sexual assault and may be triggering for some listeners. This podcast is not recommended for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Seattle's been known for its music scene since the early 90s when grunge bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam really started the grunge scene that eventually spread across the U.S. and even the world. But more than a decade later, in 2006, the grunge scene was no longer as big as it once was. But Seattle was still a city where young people could come as you are. The rave scene in the early 2000s was bright and vibrant and in many ways it was like the anti-grunge of the 90s but this rave scene had created a community of young people especially in the Capitol Hill area of Seattle which is just east of downtown although the reputation of raves is one of like heavy drug use and scantily clad teenagers really this it's not always the case people who enjoy the music and the rave atmosphere really bonded and became close over time. It wasn't uncommon for attendees of raves to like get together afterwards at someone's house and just really enjoy the night and talk and get to know each other. It was very welcoming, very friendly, and yeah, just a place for people to feel Like they have someone. The Capitol Hill Arts Center, which is also known as the CHAC, C-H-A-C, was mainly used as a theater venue. But on the evening of March 24th, 2006, the venue hosted a Better Off Undead rave. And this was attended by a few hundred people. So if you can't tell based on the name, Better Off Undead, this was like a zombie-themed event, Attendees were encouraged to, you know, really dress up, go all out for this zombie theme. Um, And this wasn't uncommon for raves to have a theme like this and for attendees to really go above and beyond and dress up a certain way. The event had a lot of security. There was a heavy security presence. And really, by all accounts, the event went off without a hitch. There wasn't any violence that broke out. There weren't people found to be doing drugs. You know, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It was just a fun night for some folks. Some of the regular attendees of the Seattle Raves that were at that event, they noticed a man that they had seen at a few other events. And he was kind of off standing to the side. He wasn't interacting with people. He wasn't dancing like you know, everyone else at the rave was. He was just keeping to himself. He also wasn't dressed up in the zombie-themed attire. And, you know, like I said, people in this scene, they really get into dressing up and and going wild and really letting loose. That's part of the point of raves. Um, And he was just wearing very normal clothes, just like you would see someone at a grocery store. So they found this a little bit odd. The man that they noticed was 28-year-old Kyle Huff. So Huff was new to the rave scene, but he had attended a few events before this better-off undead rave. He was never overly friendly, but he might have attended a few after parties. Some people said that they had met him at an after party in the past. Um, So he got to know some people, but he really kept to himself for the most part the people that noticed him at the Better Off Undead rave kind of just said he looked like he needed a friend. So as the rave died down at about 4 a.m., a few people invited Huff to an after party. Like I said, they noticed that he kind of was by himself. He wasn't dancing. So people in this community were very welcoming and wanting people to feel like they have friends and that they fit in. So they invited him to this after party. And the house was really close. It was only 10 blocks away. The house was located at 2112 East Republican Street. So Huff agreed to go to the after party, and he decided he would drive over and park his large black pickup truck around the corner from the house. The party was really laid back compared to the rave that they had all just been to. There was only around a dozen people at the house, and really it was just people sitting on couches Sitting in rooms, just chatting, laughing, you know, like friends do. Not a crazy party atmosphere like the rave had been. There weren't any drugs or alcohol at the house. It was really just a time for people to get together and connect and laugh. So by now, it's sunrise on March 25th. And Kyle Huff doesn't say a word. He stands up and walks out of the house on Republican Street. It was pretty confusing to the other partygoers because he didn't say anything to anybody. There wasn't an incident that prompted him to leave. Like no one had argued with him or there wasn't any, you know, negative words being thrown around. He just kind of stood up and walked out. But they kind of thought, okay, he's probably tired. You know, we've been up all night. Um, So they just let him go. You know, it wasn't like a big deal. But instead of just leaving, Kyle ended up walking down to where his truck was parked, which was just down the street, and he retrieved a shotgun, a semi-automatic handgun, ammo, and a can of spray paint. A neighbor of the house on Republican Street was just waking up, and she was retrieving the paper from her front door. When she looked across the street and saw Kyle Huff bent over in front of the house where the party was at, and spray paint something on the sidewalk, but she couldn't really make out what it said. After Kyle spray painted on the sidewalk, he began walking up the steps to the front porch of the house where the party was at, and he began open firing. He first hit two friends that were sitting on the front steps and then then really just opened fire on everybody else that was on the porch, which was just a few people. People that were inside the house, they heard the shots and immediately tried to barricade the door. They didn't know who it was, who was shooting, what was going on really, but they knew that they could not let whoever was doing this inside the home. So they tried to stand up against the door. They tried to push things in front of the door so that it couldn't open. But ultimately, Kyle forced his way inside the house and continued his shooting spree. Huff shot at anyone he could find, and he even shot through locked doors when he couldn't get into a room he basically just intended to inflict as much pain and damage as he could while he was firing one person heard him yell there's plenty for everyone a patrol officer just happened to be in the area at the time and he actually heard the shots from kyle at the house so he responded to the scene as soon as he could within just a few minutes When the officer got there, he saw Kyle Huff walking down the front steps of the house, and he saw that Kyle still had his weapons in his hands. So at first, the officer was going to order him to drop his weapons, but before the officer could even do that, Huff lifted the handgun to his mouth and pulled the trigger, killing himself instantly. Not including Huff, he killed six people that morning, Melissa China Doll moore who was 14. Suzanne Thorne, who was 15. Justin Sushi Swartz, who was 22. Christopher Deacon Williamson, who was 21. Jeremy Martin, who was 26. And Jason Travers, who was 32. Huff also injured two others in the shooting, but they would ultimately survive. After this awful, awful event, all of Seattle was completely upset by the news of this massacre but really no group was affected as much as the rave community the rave scene had prided itself on being a place where misfits and outcasts could come to fit in and feel safe just being who they are and instead they were targeted by a monster at first, the motive was unclear. No one had fought with Huff. You know, there, like I said, there hadn't been any incident at the party or at any of the other, uh, of the other raves that Huff had been to that would give anybody a, a suspicion that this might happen. You know, no one understood why he had targeted this community and these people. Even at the past events that Huff had been to, he was always quiet and calm, and he just interacted very politely with people. But there was nothing that would give anybody the inkling that something awful like this would happen. So while investigating the massacre, police visited Huff's apartment, which was in North Seattle. And he actually shared this apartment with his twin brother, whose name is Kane. Inside of the apartment, police found more guns and more ammunition. Thinking that Kane had something to do with the shooting, they brought Kane into custody immediately for questioning. And they found that Kane was just as shocked about the incident as anybody else. He had been completely unaware that this was something that his brother had been planning on doing. He was also kind of shocked and had no explanation or motive for why his brother would do this. He, by all accounts, was completely innocent in this as well. After days without answers to a motive, a package was actually found. And it was found in a dumpster near the apartment where Kyle and Kane lived. So I think it's kind of odd that something was found in the dumpster, but I think it was the landlord that had actually looked into the dumpster and found this very suspicious looking package. It was basically like a clay sculpture with a bunch of wires sticking out of it. And it looked like a bomb. So the landlord immediately reported this to police. And police came and retrieved the package, determined that it was not actually a bomb, but had definitely been created to look like one and to look sinister um, and ultimately to scare somebody. And with the package, they actually found a letter. The letter was taken to the Seattle Crime Lab and they determined that this letter was written by Kyle to his twin brother, Kane. In the letter, Kyle wrote, quote, "'This is something I feel I have to do. My life would always feel incomplete otherwise. I can't let them get away with what they're doing. Kids like me and you are seriously dying over this shit. I hate this world of sex that they are striving to make. This is a revolution, brother.' The most important thing to happen since man began. To let it die out would be a crime. End quote. In the aftermath of the shooting, the Church Council of Greater Seattle organized a memorial service for the seven victims who died in the shooting. The memorial service was held just outside of the house where the shooting happened at 2112 East Republican Street. And this event was attended by upwards of 300 people, and it really filled the streets in Capitol Hill. Mourners brought balloons and candles and teddy bears and signs with messages remembering the victims who lost their lives so senselessly. A debate ensued in the community regarding the ultimate cause of the shooting— Some people claimed that the rave culture itself allowed for underage people to gain access to drugs and alcohol, and that's what could have sparked this awful event. Supporters of that viewpoint attempted to get dances and raves that allowed underage attendees canceled completely in Seattle. They wanted to shut down the rave scene for underage people completely, which in my opinion is exactly what Kyle Huff was attempting to do by... Massacring these people he wanted to stop them from expressing themselves and being you know open and welcoming and and being themselves and so by then turning around and completely stopping raves for underage people who are really looking for a community to be a part of would just be fulfilling what the murderer sought out to do so in my opinion that would not have been the right move. Sandra Williamson is the mother of shooting victim Christopher Deacon Williamson, and she announced, quote, I am going to do everything in my power to make sure that these raves continue. That is what I'm going to do for Chris. Ultimately, lawmakers in Seattle agreed with Sandra, and they supported raves and dance parties continuing in Seattle for all ages. The nonprofit the Vera project in Seattle gained new support from lawmakers and they actually were able to expand their offerings of all ages shows in the Seattle area. So instead of Kyle Huff suppressing this scene and making it go away, like what he had sought out to do in the end, it actually expanded the scene and, and more people were able to attend these dances, and these events, and gain a sense of community than ever before. The local live music scene and the all-ages scene lives on in Seattle today. The actions of Kyle Huff on that morning were not enough to kill the spirit of this city and the rave community. With the boom of Amazon and other tech companies, Seattle has really transformed. It's no longer the grungy independent scene that it once was. But the house at 2112 East Republican Street looks relatively the same to as it did in 2006. Many longtime residents of Seattle have moved away and have been replaced by Amazon or other tech employees I personally lived in Seattle for several years, and the story of the Capitol Hill Massacre is not widely talked about or known. As someone very interested in true crime, you know, it's something that tends to come up in some conversations that I have with people, and a lot of people that I met in Seattle and that I talked to didn't know that this had happened in their community. They had no idea that this was a thing at all, Uh, and they were just as shocked to learn about it as I was. As cities evolve and residents change, I just think that it's really important that the stories that shaped these cities and these communities stay alive and they get retold and passed down to new residents and the people that live there. Regardless of how dark these stories may be, I know that some people would probably rather forget that this awful, awful event happened in their neighborhood, but I think it's important in our, in order to remember the victims, and ultimately know why your city is the way that it is today. You know, these events really shape more than just the people that were immediately affected by them. We owe it to the victims to know their stories, and when we pass by one of these places where something awful happened, we should remember the victims and remember what happened to them. Thank you for listening to Morbid Tourism, Episode 3, The Capitol Hill Massacre. If you like learning about morbid locations, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please leave us a review or a rating. Let us know what you think. New episodes will be released weekly. Between episodes, you can visit www.morbidtourism.com to learn about more morbid locations. Follow us on Instagram at tourism this podcast is researched, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jules Kruger. Sources for this episode include Wikipedia, The Stranger, Seattle Weekly, and the Vera Project website.